Welcome to the Rick Roberts School of Laughs podcast, where we aim to make you bigger, better, and more bookable. From the aspiring comedian to the part-time pro, this is the podcast for you. We'll talk all things comedy from the page to the stage. And now, it's showtime. All right, this is Rick Roberts, School of Laughs podcast, and again, another comic that I met here at the Laugh Fest in Grand Rapids, Michigan, which is a great festival. If you're anywhere within a couple, 300 miles of this thing, you ought to come in and check out some shows. It's every March, right before March Madness, you can remember it that way, and they raise money for Gilda's House, which is a great a great cause. You can check them out in the show notes later on. But with me right now is Tony Deo. And yes. Tony, I just met you last night. Right. We had some <laughs> mutual friends right off the bat. We do. Uh, that... that and that's the great thing about comedy is you're we talking about the seven. Somebody yeah, that, it's not the yeah. seven steps of separation like Kevin Bacon. It's like the half step. Yeah, it's usually just one like you know a guy that I know a guy. Yeah, yeah. it's amazing yeah. like that. So I feel like yeah. I knew you kind of right off the bat, but I, I don't know much about where you came from. We talked a little bit on the walkover, but let our listeners know a little bit where you're from and when you started your comedy. Well, I uh, and I started a little late I, because I had sort of another life. What was, uh, the, what was the previous life? I, uh, I went to college, I got a music education degree uh, in Virginia at James Madison, and then I went to UNLV, got a master's degree in percussion performance. Nice. I moved down to uh, Texas and taught band and played in uh, some symphonies down there. Uh, and then I taught in Austin for a little while, and when I, while I was in Austin, I started doing stand-up. Really? Yeah. So you, while you were still teaching in while high school? Uh, in Austin, it was a middle school. In, okay. uh, I was outside of Corpus Christi for a couple of years. Uh-huh. I taught middle school and high school down there. And then in Austin, I taught just middle school. Wow. Uh, yeah. What triggered that? I mean, I, you probably knew. I, I think all of us know we're a little bit funny at some point, but what made you finally say, I'm like, jump out of there? I, um, I had gotten to a point where I'd always loved stand-up, and I knew, like, my life was just moving sort of down that, uh, I call it sort of the... Uh, suburban checklist. Yeah. <laughs> Where, you know, you yeah. have the job, you have the dog, you got the two cars, you get the house. Right. And I was just checking them all off. And I'm like, if I don't try stand up right now, yeah. it'll never happen. And I'll look back and regret it. So I knew, like, I went into it assuming I would probably fail at it, but I just didn't want to regret it. Right. Uh, so I took a, uh, uh, a comedy class in Austin uh, and it got me on stage, which was. Probably the biggest, like the hardest thing for me to do is right. to make that step from being a guy that sat in an audience to a guy that stepped on stage and said, I want to touch it. So, uh, and I was in Austin just very briefly. And then uh, I had, the other sort of weird thing I had done is when I was in college, I started writing marching band shows. Really? Yeah. So, so like the full... Yeah, like not the music, but how they move around. Yeah, oh yeah. The, yeah. Sort of the choreography yeah. of marching bands. And when I was in Texas, I realized I could make my entire living uh, writing band shows a couple of months in the summer. And I started thinking, well, maybe I give up teaching and make my living writing band shows, and then I give stand-up comedy a real awesome. run at it. All right. And it would give me ten months a year to be a stand-up and not worry about the money that I was making. Just go after being successful at it. And not say, okay, I, I need to pay the light bill, so let me go do this $50 bar gig. Right, or right. Something. 
Wow. So what you're saying there, I hear two things. One is there's some pretty good money in writing band show. Yeah, there is. <laughs> <laughs> two months of your year, step by step. Yeah. I was in high school marching band, so I, I, I can't oh, even right. imagine what it takes to create that. There's probably some software now that even helps. But back Yeah, then, yep, exactly. There's a, a one great uh, uh, piece of software called Pyware, where it, okay. it does a lot of the busy work. It's a really it's an amazing program. So it can, once you get in there, it can move it throughout the progression or having beat yeah whatever. you can animate it you can watch it from any seat in the stadium now it's completely That's 3d insane. it's really insane so now it's now unbelievable do you still do some of that now or you still i still do that it's wow. it's something it's sort of in me i've yeah. done it for 20 years now it's just what i still love it and every summer it's a nice break from comedy i, I step away for a little bit and i write band shows and it's a thing i've loved since i mean literally since i was in middle school i've been involved with marching band that's pretty cool. It's, yeah. <laughs> Usually, I mean, you're doing two things you love. You're doing one thing you yeah. love so you can do the other thing you love maybe more. Right, yeah. <laughs> which, I mean, you're like the double jackpot winner here. I really, I got very, very lucky. And what do you judge, swimsuit contests in the wintertime or something? <laughs> yeah, I go down to the Bahamas and, uh, yeah. You do wine tastings. I mean, all the hard work. This yeah. is the guy you call. Call up Tony. He'll take care of it for you. Yeah. That is hilarious. I sort of hit the career lottery twice, That's... being able to do two things I really enjoy. And also... I'm maybe reaching here, but do you find that some of the thinking and the process of writing those band shows rolls over into how you plan a stand-up show or set or you're uh, writing? Anything? Yeah, I mean, there's a it's certainly a lot of kind of my musical background. Uh, I always sort of credit my comedy timing to being a musician and that, you know, I can adjust and I know what I'm listening for. And after, you know, so many years of being a musician, it, and you know, too, it's inside you. Mm -hmm. I don't have to think about my timing. It's always there and it adjusts on its own. And um, You almost breathe by it on stage, right. don't you? Like, exactly. You can't even take a deep breath until you found that spot in the joke. Right. <laughs> Where you've yeah, got the time to do it. And do you feel most uh, crowds are like 2-4 four or 4-4? Four, four? Or do you... Uh, I've never thought of three it. crowd, like a weird <laughs> yeah, yeah, corporate yeah. show where you're doing a jazz. Yeah, yeah. there's there's a uh, yeah fifteen eight audience I ran across. <laughs> <laughs> I think comedy club crowds, late shows are like a one one. Like, it's like <laughs> right, yeah. One joke, one <laughs> sentence, one punchline, one sentence, one punchline. Don't yeah. go off of that, or you're gonna yeah. lose them. Yeah, yeah, it's not a symphony. It's <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's crazy. So that's that's pretty awesome. So you did something you loved. Mm -hmm. You had something in the back of your mind you didn't want to regret. Right. Which I get that email a lot. Am I too old to give this a go? You're never too old to give it a go. No. There's going to be things all. that might be more difficult, but right. honestly, you know, there's a ton of people in their 40s and 50s that are looking for something fun to do. Their right. kids are now in college. They've got the time. And you have so much more knowledge now Yeah, that you can apply in your, your comedy techniques. There's so much more I, story to tell. Yeah, and it does. It, it's, it's sort of, it's, it's neat to have a different background because uh, it's something I talk about in my act you know, about being a, you know, band director and writing the band show. It's something nobody else gets to talk about. There's no comedian on this earth that is also a right. marching band show designer. That's a deep and narrow niche no one, right there. <laughs> no one will ever be able to do those jokes. Have you ever me. pitched yourself to any of the conferences, conventions that where those guys meet up? You know what? Um, I've been told I should do that, and it's a good idea. I feel like I don't have enough material about that. Yeah, to really pitch myself yeah. for those. Well, but I will at some point. Yeah, and I don't think it should hold you back. I mean, just being one of their own. Right. Just a few jokes. I mean, yeah. they're at work, too, at this conference. They don't want to hear about that stuff for the entire 45 <laughs> yeah, minutes. Yeah, that's anyway. true. Right. Yeah, because but, they heard about it all day. But they would, you know, that's a nice little group that would 
yeah follow you step by step yeah and every you know every single state has their you know music educator conference yeah i know they had a banquet where they gave it out awards and could use somebody up there for half an hour i mean right i don't think it position you in a place where you could sell more of your band programs i mean yeah i probably could (laughs) here's what you could do i'm gonna help you out right here you get in career counseling with rick and you ask for them to also give you a vendor's booth for free and ask, oh, them, yeah. ask them to give you a priority position close to the door. Yeah. So they get to meet you. Yeah. Hey, I'll be the guy doing the, the after banquet speech in two days. And for the other two days, you're selling your stuff. Yeah. So you're walking out of there with two checks, maybe more. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah, you're right. And you're collecting their business cards and building up <laughs> email lists so you can have the, the band marchers. Yeah. Way to comedy. I'll end up working myself out of comedy by picking up too much. <laughs> yeah, too, much too much gigs. Yeah. I'm working so much I can't do comedy anymore. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Now, I, I always say that when we grow up, we're exposed to comedians. We don't know right. how that transpires later. And yeah. uh, I always talk about my favorites. But I'm not in, on stage. You would never know who my favorites were. Like, I was influenced that I love comedy, but right. their styles didn't carry over. What kind of comedy did you grow up watching? Well, the first, uh, my dad played me uh, uh, You're of an Age. You, do you remember Reel to Reels? Oh, yeah. My dad had uh, Bill Cosby on Reel to Reel. On a Reel to Reel. On Reel to Reel, and we'd sit there and listen to that. Did he buy it real to real, or was it dubbed off? Because if he bought it real to real, that's probably a collector's item. It, I remember it not being in like a case that had Cosby's face on it. It, so, it yeah. was blank and handwritten on it, so, so someone <laughs> must have ripped it for him or something. Even back in the uh, then, they were still he was the ripping first off. Napster. What we do is we get these real to reels. We go in a quiet place where people can't hear us cranking up. You put on the microphone over by the. Yeah. It's hilarious. Yeah, so uh, yeah, I listened to Cosby, and then somewhere in high school, um, I actually remember seeing Seinfeld on The Tonight Show before he had his show, and almost like Seinfeld will tell the story where he watched Robert Klein, and that was a comedian he watched. He goes, I could do that. You know, this is just a regular guy talking. I had the same experience watching Seinfeld. I'm like, this is crazy. Like, it's so funny, and I can, like, relate to... I, I could probably be that dude. So literally, since high school, it's been banging around in the back of my head. Like, I love stand-up. It's something I think I could do. But I didn't come from a family that ever did was in show. Like, I came from, a, I grew up in a town in Virginia. There was a factory town, and right. nobody goes into entertainment. Right. Any kind of so, creative stuff, you look like you're a little bit weird. Like, yeah, so you don't run around high school telling people you're going to be a comedian. Right. And then I went to college and, you know, as a musician, and I was sort of on a normal track, and it was still in the back of my mind, you know, at some point, I want to try this. And then, you know, you go to grad school, and then you start working, and then it's really, it's like, you know, it's now or never. Right. I have to do this. Did you look for any opportunities in college, in any of the, you know, talent shows or anything, plays, anything to get on stage? Um, well, I was, when I first went to college, I was a theater major for one year. Okay. Uh, because I had done some like acting in high school, and I really enjoyed being on stage. Um, but I did. I never tried stand up in college. It, it wasn't until I was twenty eight. Did you guys have uh, comedians come to campus? Yeah, yeah I saw Carrot Top twice. Okay, fantastic show both times. I really loved that guy. I he think really, he still has a great show. Yeah, he really made. And I know there's a lot of comedians that'll shit on him, and what he is a fantastic performer. Yeah, and I, yeah, and when you first start, I mean, there's. Funny to me, like people that are in the open mic phase already tell you how much they hate different kinds of comics. Right. <laughs> but and when I was young, I probably felt that way about somebody. Like, I yeah. can't believe that guy's on stage. Yeah. 
uh, for me, it was hypnotists. A few hypnotists that were like, oh, right. selling out clubs, and all of a sudden, they were taking up like six weeks on the books. <laughs> right, they're um, coming back. I'll never get the headline here because they're coming. They're hypnotizing. If they can only do one thing, they're hypnotizing people. Come back and see them again. <laughs> if that's the only thing they're doing. Right. But uh, you know, a friend of mine was like, "Why are you so mad at the hypnotists?" I'm like, "They're taking up." That. He's like, "No, they're keeping the club alive so that we have a chance to still be there in exactly. two or three years." Yeah, so without the, those people, that club would go under. Right. So that they can lose money on you. Right. That guy's <laughs> basically helping me stay alive. <laughs> So that's I, a good way to look at it. Well, you know, I never get down on other kinds of comics because right. hey, if they're different than you, that's great because right. you still are you yourself and you're unique. Right. If they're completely I mean, something crazy like that, and hypnotists, there's some funny ones and right, you know, some really professionally well done guys. But there, right. there was one guy who went around the Midwest forever, and half the time he couldn't get people hypnotized. <laughs> but that was good because if you were open for that guy, you ended up getting the headline because he had to say, "Well, it's not working tonight." Yeah. So you get in a club that way. So there's that's funny, but you can't. You, I, I, and we know this because we've been doing it for a while. You've been at it for how long? Uh, this is, let's see, I started um, right around like 02. Okay. So yeah, not, so 11 not years. Not that long. Not, seems, no, yeah. not that long. That's cool. So, yeah, it's, it's amazing how you can kind of, kind of lost my train of thought. There was something right before that. Well, uh, like sort of like learning. Uh, yeah, we know. know. Yeah, what we know now. Yeah, and I always say, you know, you can... Even the guys you don't like, you can learn something. They're good, especially guys that are successful right, in working. Right, right. You can learn something from. They're doing something right. Right. Even if it's just being a good businessman. Exactly, and I think too, if it's finding out that one thing that they're doing that you're not doing. Like I used to see guys on TV. I'm like, how do they get on TV? Yeah. Well, find out who his management is. Find right. out who his agent is. Yeah. And try to find out what they sell differently in him. Right. You know, sometimes when I first started trying to get in with different uh, speakers bureaus, mm-hmm. you know, they book comics. And I'd look and I'd say, oh, they've got a guy that plays guitar. Great, they like guys like that. I'll send them my stuff. And they're like, we've already got a guy that plays guitar. <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay. So then I would try to find the bureaus that have a guy that plays guitar. Right. You know, and then now it's not even a big part of my act, but it was one way to try to differentiate yourself and find your niche to get in there right. and connect. So yeah. you can't really get mad about other people being successful. They're all yeah. moving it down the line. Right. So, I mean, the takeaway is spend more time worrying about your own set. Right. And nothing else. For sure. Yeah. And you know, if you're hanging around comics after the shows, even if it's open mics and they're bad mouthing somebody else, just get up and leave. Yeah. Because that stuff brings you down. Right, it does. And you can yeah, you can sort of get into a bad spiral. Yeah. I used to ask guys after I've kind of figured out that I was doing that, when I meet somebody in the green, I'm like, Hey, who have you seen recently that you thought was really good? Yeah. Instead of saying, Where did you come from? Then they would start, Well, I came from so and so and I was working with that guy and he's a right. jerk and just <laughs> yeah. share the condo with that dude who was the worst. He walked around in his BBDs, you know. Right. So it's always negative, negative, negative. Right. So just you gotta stay positive in this yeah. thing. It's it's amazing how much you really gotta switch that effort around. Yep. That's cool. Now when you write, do you have pockets of inspiration? Do you have dedicated time where you try to yeah. focus on it? Dedicated How's, time. That's excellent. I'm a, like the Seinfeld theory of sit down and do it every day. And you, it's a job. Try to do a specific time each day, or the kind yeah, of- try to do an hour every day, and then you're not sitting there. You haven't gone to the well too much. And you know, one thing I heard not too long ago that's really been helpful is don't get to the end of an idea at the end of a workday. You know, when you sit down, if you're like working on a joke and it's almost finished, leave that for tomorrow because you have a place to start. You know, uh, a little kick it off point. Right. Instead of totally finishing up what you're working on, and the next day you sit down, and you're like, all right, that makes sense. But if you have a little bit to finish up, you, you get started on that, and it gets kind of your brain rolling, uh, and that helped out a lot. And do you? Um, I find recently I like I troubleshoot my act. I'm like, okay, I'm, man, I'm talking about my kids too much or this, right? Yeah. And where am I not talking about? And try to develop topics and mm-hmm. that in the material. Do you kind of have a method you go through to 
look at your act and see what you want to yeah, take out. Yeah, I've, uh, I've always, um, at the entire time I've been a comic, my issues, I've felt like I've never uh, dug into topics enough. I get one good joke, I'm like, all right, I'm out of there. Right, <laughs> Let right. me find where it fits, I'll sneak it in there, yeah. and then move on. And so I've always constantly been trying to write longer and longer and uh, longer jokes, because I like the guys that, you know, have a five-minute you know, bit oh, yeah. on whatever. Like, you watch Gary Goldman, he'll do 12 minutes on bananas or something right. crazy, and it's hysterical, and he's unbelievable at it. So that sort of is, and it's kind of constantly, you know, been in the back of my head is try to write longer. I'm getting a little better at it. You what? You have a bit that's the longest. Like, do you know the length of your bits in general? Yeah, like, I have a, a ten minute bit about uh, when I was in college. I, I went on an Army ROTC scholarship, and they sent me to Airborne School one summer. And I have about ten minutes about that. That's awesome. Which is great. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, it's one thing on your set list. Yeah, and I can pull it out. Or if I need to, you know, I need, you know, 10 minutes, I stick it in there. And it's, right. uh, yeah. And you get exit comes. points in case they're not buying into it. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, what did uh, Bob Newhart used to call it? Trapdoors. Uh-huh. Or escape hatches or right. something <laughs> like that. Awesome. He knew if a bit wasn't going well, he knew where he could dive out of it. That's hilarious. And you got to yeah. have those. I mean, it, yeah. Because that bit could be solid for 10 shows in a row, and then you get that one crowd where it's like, yeah. it does not register. Right, yeah. We were talking yeah. earlier about switching up your game plan and your, mm-hmm. like your jokes are different plays and your opponent's going to be different. Right. So you got to have that audible you got to call sometimes. Right. And it's, it's a skill. I mean, I think when you first start, you only have so many jokes. Right. And you got to do them all. Yeah. And if they ask you to go along, you just repeat them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, start back at the beginning. You go over again. Hope they forgot. Yeah. So, you know, what I want aspiring comics to think of when they listen to this is it's, it is kind of tricky and hard at the beginning. It's it's always. But if, but if you yeah. don't love that part of it, you're right. not going to get to the part where it's really fun later on. Right. To you know take things in and out and shrink yeah. things down and expand things out and take them different directions. There's, there's a ton of game within the game. Right. Once you get to that stage where you're not just on stage trying to remember your set, now you're performing right. it thinking, what can I do with it? Right. And that's where I think the light bulb turns on for a lot of comics, but it, you never give yourself a chance to get there. Right. Man, you're robbing yourself out of a lot of fun. Right. There's a ton of good stuff there. Yeah. Thinking on your feet. Do you do very much crowd work with your shows? I don't, and I I always I sort of love it when I get pulled in that direction mm-hmm. to do it, but it's not something I set out to do. Um, I never. I know some guys that you know that's their aim. How soon can I right. be doing crowd work? Right. Uh, which I've always liked. Sort of for me, the joy came or still comes from writing the jokes and telling them, and you know that's the fun part for me. But the thinking on my feet, like that's a skill I've had to learn a little bit and get better at, um, and I do enjoy it. Yeah. Uh, but I never, I never aim to do it. Yeah, I don't either. I feel when you give that that control. Yeah. They're never going to be as funny. Occasionally, they can be funnier if you hit them with the right line. And they, <laughs> right. You know, yeah. and that's okay too, as long as right. it happens in the last five minutes of the show. Yeah. <laughs> but there's. Yeah, I'm the same way. I have some open-ended questions that I can ask throughout the show. And right. If, if somebody wants to get involved, I can have fun back and forth. Right. But it's really, even even though I know what those questions are and I know what the answers are going to be, it's still 50-50 whether they play along enough. Right. And some clients do request it. And they're like, hey, can you do a lot of crowd work? We want to be it's interactive. And for those kinds of things, I'll bring my guitar and right. bring them on stage and stuff. But yeah. stand-up is a really... You know, it's tricky to let them into that. Right. Once again, it throws your timing off. Yeah. And you got to bring it all back. Right. That's yeah. Sometimes a hard thing too. It's hard to follow yourself doing crowd work because if it goes really well, 
that's an awkward transition back into telling jokes that are written. And it's noticeable. I very. <laughs> I mean, super to us, but I, I feel like everything I notice, they notice it 20 times as much. Right. And it may be 20 times less. Yeah. I might be overanalyzed, but I feel that on stage. Like, right. And now let's talk about jokes again. Right. I, I a lot of times, I'll address it. I'm like, well, this is going to be weird, but I got to yeah. start telling jokes again. Yeah. I, I, sometimes I let them go long enough to where they start into one of my topic areas. Yeah. And then I can cut them off and jump in. That's a good idea. You know, I try to find, and almost everything will lead into an area of a joke that you've got somewhere. Right, yeah. After, yeah, this much time in the business. Right. Yeah. Funny stuff. Now, when you, um, I was curious, have you released some CDs? I, uh, I have one album I recorded probably a couple years ago now, and I'm working on a new one. How's that coming? It's, it's a whole, that moving from one, I mean, you hear guys like Louis C. Caden every yeah, year. Yeah, every it's year. A new crop every year on his <laughs> like, fire field tractor and bring in the harvest, and then yeah. boom, it's, like, come on, Louie, you're making the rest of us look bad. I know, but it's and it become a goal for a lot of guys, and it can yeah, be, it should be a goal in some sense. Uh, but a year is pretty crazy. Every year is crazy. I mean, we have to address that Louis at the top of his game. Yeah, he's at that level where his brains. I, I like. I feel guys like him and Regan, their brain gets to a point where it's pre-filtering jokes. Yeah. So almost every idea that they write down, it's probably decent, and they just have to get it right. Right. Um. But yeah, I, I, I'm still at the, uh, I'm not quite at that level yet. How far along but, are you in this next CD? How many minutes do you think you got? Um, the album is ready. What is the, what's uh, the holdup? Not that it's a holdup. I'll just explain it because I'm okay. <laughs> dancing around. It's right. not making it. No, there's always, I mean, this good audio and video recording always has some hang ups. So. Yes. My hang up is the idea behind the album. It sounds cool. The logistics behind it is a nightmare. I uh, I decided to call the album Comedy Road Trip 20 Jokes in 20 Cities. Okay. So it's uh, it's kind of like, do you remember Chris Rock's, I don't know if it was his last special, maybe the second to last one. Yeah, he one, did the same where thing he like bounced, in Africa. Yeah, yeah, in between three different places. Right. So my idea is basically to do that. Every track is a different city. And... It sounds great, like sitting here just talking about, well, yeah, that's kind of a cool right. idea. But the nightmare of recording every single set that I do in every single city and trying to pull out uh, yeah, the three-minute three chunk, mm-hmm. three, four, you know, whatever-minute chunk. And, you know, I sort of go into a night hoping, like, this is the one I'm aiming to get tonight. Right. And some nights you get it, some nights you don't. <laughs> and... Uh, but I know what the album is. I know the set list and the order and everything that's going to go in. Now it's just the logistics of recording it and then pulling the tracks and getting it mixed. And okay, so the material's down. Yeah. It's just getting that sweet spot. Yeah, and it's taking so long, like new jokes are kind of going in. And do you uh, say the name of the town in the bit? So no, I don't, but on, the, on this album, they'll be listed. So you, you know, really like, can get one great show. I could. Slightly alter the audio <laughs> to make it sound like you're... The you're exactly right. Smaller. Yeah, there's and a lot of the, smoke and mirrors on the backside that I could pull some tricks. You could, and as long as you've done that joke in that city, it was... You did Technically, <laughs> yes. I'm just saying, if, if a year from now you're still trying to fight through this, yeah. just take just that get one, one great good night one. and say, this is it. Yeah, this is the one. Well, that's pretty, it's, I had an idea for a, my next CD, I wanted to call it Stages. And it's my comedy club act, if you want to call it that, like the... A, a material, right? But show how the same material works in a club, oh, at right. a church, yep. at a corporate gig, emceeing, hosting an event, and just show. And par- partly for my own package, when I pitch myself to companies and stuff, like, hey, this stuff right. is funny, but it's going to be funny anywhere. Let's 
same stuff, different audiences, all women, all guys, right? Young, old, yeah. and that may be biting off more than I can chew, but it's like the idea. <laughs> it's of, a good, yeah, it's a good idea. The cover having like nine different stages, and it's you hear what's yep. coming from each thing, right? So when you get yours done, I'm going to come back to you and find out, yeah, how if there's anything I should think ahead of time because. By the time you get done with any CD or any project, you know how to do it. Yeah. And you wish you had that at the beginning. Yeah. It drives you nuts sometimes. Yeah. And do you have um, that first CD up on Sirius XM? Uh, yeah, it gets played on Sirius a little bit. And uh, it's actually, it's free on my website if people sign up for my mailing list. Awesome. Uh, it's a free download. Well, it's ConyDeo.com? Yep. D-E-Y-O? D-E-Y-O. You guys got to go there. And that'll be in the show notes. All kinds of good stuff in the show notes. Perfect. As I learn how to do show notes, I'll make sure we have some. I hear guys say that. Yeah. Um, I have to say it's been in about 12 or 13 years or so, yep. it sounds like. What one or two things that you know now you wish would have known at the beginning to help you just get over the hump on something, whether it was how good a joke should be before you try it live or what kind of business approach? Um, well, the, the best advice, I actually, when I was first starting out, I kind of, like I emailed all of my sort of comedy idols uh, and ask them that exact same question. You know, what do you know now you wish you knew when you were at my level? And only one of them emailed me back. Uh, Jim Gaffigan emailed really? me. That's great. And his advice was be patient. And that is really, that is the best advice anyone could have given me in this career. Because you, I feel like you always sort of get everything a little after you feel like you deserved it. Right. When you, you're more than ready for it. When you're more than ready. Right. And that's when you should get it. Right. Because if you're just ready... You're not ready. <laughs> but if you're more than ready, then you're really. Like I got, I probably two or three years ago thought I was ready for television. And I just got it five months ago uh, for the first time. And I needed that, you know, few more years of seasoning that, you know, just the preparing myself mentally uh, for it. And I'd actually gotten to the point that I thought, man, this is never going to happen. Right. <laughs> I had gotten over the hump. I'm like, you know what? I, I'm okay doing my career without being on TV. And it's just great if I get it. Yeah. And then you appreciate it more and you're ready for it. Yeah, then when it comes along, you're like, oh, my God, I can't believe it. Right. Yeah, patience is big. It's, you know, a lot of my students, after they do the do a writing class, performance class, they do a graduation <laughs> show, after like five months doing open mics, they're like, man, I want to be doing this, this, and that. I'm like, there's no shortcut for the amount of time <laughs> right. you got to be on stage. Right. We can knock out some of the things you're not supposed to do and teach you the good skills right. and techniques. Yep. But, man, time on stage yeah. is so important. It's, it's funny you mentioned that. I have a buddy of mine I've known for years. Uh, he saw me on Conan, and I inspired him to go try a stand-up. Really? And, yeah. How, how cool. And he's my age. He, uh, he So he started late. Uh, he did it once. And, you know, everyone's first time. And he keeps sending me the video. He sent me a second time on stage, and he, uh, and he asked me, he's like, uh, can you watch it? I, I don't know if I should throw in the towel yet or not. I'm like, the <laughs> second time on stage? Are you insane? Oh, my gosh. It's crazy. That is crazy. You know, It's hard to get that across, though. So I'm, right. I'm asking every comic just to kind of reinforce that because it's a long road. And yeah. at any point, if you feel like you don't want to do it, then that's a good sign that you found out early you don't want to do it. Because right. I think the people who are going to succeed at this... You, for me, I was too dumb to stop. Right. That's the way, I, I mean, I, I say it 100% honest. Mm -hmm. I just thought that if I keep doing this, uh, eventually it'll be like the snowball right. that grows and grows and grows. Right. And I didn't really realize how bad I was early. That's it, yeah. There, you have to have a little bit of delusion. You do. Like, you have to have that little blurriness between right. reality yeah. and, and what expectations. You, <laughs> yeah, what you think you are and what you actually are. It is, because... Do you still have... Can you... Uh, do you have your first performance on tape? 
I don't have my first because I didn't know I was going to do comedy the first night. Yeah. I went to do a play a guitar thing. Oh. And I found out it was an open mic when I got done. Right. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but I have one of my, a couple of my early MC sets and yeah. things like that. I do have some cassette tapes of early yeah. on. And I have some set lists. You know, I, I think we were talking last night about you, you kept all the names of the comics you worked with over yeah. the years. And I think that's cool. And when you start out, you should have a little notebook and some running pads on some stuff that you'll appreciate later on. Yeah. I've got some of my old set list that was mm-hmm. still on the company stationery when I was working for Simon and Schuster. Ah, that's great. And I was doing these. That's all I was doing. I was it's like data entry stuff. Yeah. I had these note ideas and I put them up. I'm like, okay, and they were horrible bits. Yeah. I mean, like Jeff Foxworthy doing dice clay bits and vice right. versa. Just like I was trying to figure out whatever I could do just to fill up three minutes. Yeah. But I look back at some of the stuff now and it's like some of it wasn't bad. It's just I would never yeah. even think of doing a joke that way now. Right. Like it doesn't even logically I, make sense what I said, but they laughed at it. I had the opposite thing. I have some of the, like, I can't watch my performance. Like, I have a tape of me on stage the first time. I cannot get through it. Yeah. I can get through a minute, and then I'm like, I got to turn this off. Yeah. Or maybe look at this. But I have jokes, literally, from the first couple of months I did comedy that ended up on TV. Yeah, isn't that awesome? Yeah. So there, don't assume everything, you know, in the beginning is trash. Right, right. It's not. There's, you know, there's... You're going to have funny ideas, and you're going to have to adjust them. Clearly, I've edited and fixed and right, learned right. how to perform and all those things. Yeah. But, you know, a funny idea is a funny idea, and it, will, uh, it may last. Yeah. Now, speaking of looking back at your old recordings, are there any... How often do you look back at a video of you performing now? I have a hard time uh, watching myself. Any Like, up until about two years ago. Uh, where I really felt like I kind of hit my stride and I became who I am on stage and I'm, I'm comfortable watching myself now. But, you know, there was a decade that I just couldn't, couldn't watch it. it. I couldn't listen. And I knew I was supposed to and everything, but it was just so hard. Yeah. Like, I just hated watching myself. It's tough. I remember doing sets, you know, doing a seven or eight minute set and get that on video so I could send it to booking agents. Yeah. But I had to sort of dub the videotapes from VHS to VHS. Oh, right. So I'd have to watch in one day what I thought was my great seven minutes. And by the end of the day, I'm like, this is horrible. This is, yeah, I should be sending this What am I going to do with this stuff? But Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I, I look at stuff fairly often now, mm-hmm. every couple of months, just depending on what I'm working towards. Right. You know, if I'm looking to put up a few new YouTube clips. or That's what I, yeah, I, I look at it now because I try to put like little one-minute jokes and things up on YouTube. So I, I tape every single week, every club. And I try to pull like one joke or something put up on YouTube. That's cool. And, and um, so, are you primarily comedy clubs right now still? Or are you yeah. Doing any branching off in any of the other niches at all? I've done uh, a couple of cruises. Uh, it, you know what's weird? Even though I'm a clean comic, I feel like I'm not great for cruises and I'm not great for corporate because I'm just just on that edge where I talk about like some adult things and I do it in a clean way, but it's not. It's not perfect for what they want. It would be just appropriate for something. Yeah, yeah. So I I know five years down the road I'll have plenty of material and I'll be able to do that. But, you know, I'm still at that point where I'm, I'm not 100% comfortable saying, yeah, I can do this. Right. You know. That's so, smart to know that. Yeah. Because I I think I think at some point you've got to take a gig just to find out. Right, you do. You get that litmus test. And I did. And you did. <laughs> yeah, and you yeah. realize that it's going to be a few years down the road maybe right. before this is right for me. But yeah. Uh, that's something to get across to the younger or new new comics listening is you do want to get some kind of income at some point. That's going right. to be your, one of your first goals will be I got to make a dollar doing this at some point. Right. But there's you don't have to keep going back into the wrong environment if it's not for you. Right. Yeah. And 
you don't want to find the safest environment only either. Right. You got to kind of branch out. But right. To say no and to refer somebody else that's good for that mm-hmm. is really key. Yeah, I, I've done that a lot. Yeah, because not only are you helping them out, they're going to help you out with something that you're right for right. later on. Yeah. Instead of letting the gig die or taking it and killing it. Right, exactly. Both of those are bad. <laughs> I go back to a lot. I do mostly corporate, probably 80%. Yeah. Probably 85, maybe. And um, a lot of times I'm the guy, I'll say, who did you have for your comedian last year? Oh, we didn't have a comedian. It's been about four years now because the last guy we had... We, we, he said he was clean. We looked at one clip online, but uh, he only had like that three minutes. Right. <laughs> yeah. And so I always thank them for taking another chance on me. But I, I yeah. asked him at the end of that show, hey, if you enjoy my show and you want to help find another comic, I yeah. know a lot. Right. I won't steer you in the wrong direction. So you can build relationships with clients. So two or three years later, I can go back and do that same company as Ben again if right. I want to, if it was a good one. Yeah. And, and keep that gig alive. Right, but there's That's some a good big killers out there. Yeah, <laughs> they're running around gig, and making also, it hard for us. Not knowing how much time you realistically have right. and taking gigs for longer. Yeah, putting yourself in that environment to fail. Right, kills the gig. And, I think we all like uh, it, sort of in the club scene. You get put into the spot a little before you're ready. Right, I middled before I was really ready, and I headlined before I was ready. But it takes you, you really have to get in that situation and stretch as hard as you can uh, before you know you can do it. Yeah, it kicks you. And once you get in that next level, especially moving from feature to headline, you don't realize how sweet that feature spot was. Oh, it's the greatest spot in the world. It's it really so is. comfy. And, and it's, it's easy to get, it is easy to get comfortable there. Yeah. And sometimes dial in. We were talking earlier about doing that same 30 minutes so you're killing right. so you can move up. Right. Um, but when you move into the headline spot, you start realizing the check drop at some clubs. Is yeah. Brutal. Yep. Five or seven minutes where they're not even looking at you. Yeah. I uh, do new jokes there. That's a great... I was going to ask. What, yeah. So that's your approach to handle that? Yeah. That's... Uh, when I first started headlining, I was like, what can I do? Because, you know, I want them to pay attention to my real jokes. I was like, you know what? When I see checks going out, I'm going to try new jokes. And I actually tell them that I'm doing it. Which Comics seem to be split 50-50 on whether I should tell them. Yeah. But I'll do, like, I'm doing six or seven minutes in a row of new jokes. Right. So it it would be obvious if I didn't tell them, yeah. you know, if, you know, some nights, none of them are good. Right. So, but it's been really, and it's worked really well for me because uh, one of the things the comic said to me is, why are you letting them know, you know, that it's written or whatever? And I don't think anyone's under the impression anymore that stand-up comics are making it up as we right. go. You want to make it feel that way, but right. they don't expect Nobody it. Nobody thinks that's right. the truth. <laughs> right. they, they know it's an act, you know. And so I feel that audiences actually even more appreciate being part of the process. Mm-hmm. You know, I explained to, you know, you know comedian, we're on the road, we got to try new jokes, uh, and you guys help me learn what's good and what's bad about these jokes. I think audiences really like that. I've, I've never had an audience that didn't seem to love you know, being a part of that process. Being in on it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's where I used to work out a lot of my crowd work, and I'd try to drop some jokes in there. Oh, right, yeah. Because I figured, and you probably feel the same way, if you get any laughs from a new joke during the check drop... Yeah, it's probably great. Right. And for those of you that listen, they don't know what the check drop is, at the club, they got to get paid. So for when the headliner's up there, there's a five or seven minute spot where everybody's looking at how much they got to yep. pay. And there's always a surprise at some table. Like, can't believe how big their bill is. <laughs> right, they didn't the order The tickets the... for free. The drink was twelve dollars. We I had six order these jalapeno poppers. <laughs> this bucket of beer cost more than a bucket of concrete. You know, yeah, it's crazy. And you'll get some of those tables like 
Yeah. Big discussions happen. Yeah. So if you can get any reaction material in that spot, yeah. you're sweet. Yeah. And there's a couple of clubs around the country that don't do it until the show's over. And it's like the sweetest little... <laughs> and those are probably <laughs> run by former comics sometimes, yeah, aren't they? Yeah. yeah they, they get yeah. it. Yeah. I um, One of the things, I don't know if uh, this will help your young comics. It sort of, it takes being on the road before this is helpful, but at the beginning of the week, I'll have like some jokes I want to work on, and I'll try to hit them every night and edit during the day and try the new version at night. And hopefully by Sunday or, or late show Saturday, the joke's in a fairly workable place, or I know that the joke's not going to work. And that uh, sort of setting yourself up a system where you're trying new material, I right. think is a good idea. Because, I mean, you know, from your years of doing comedy, there's guys that once they get their 30 or 45, they stamp it in concrete and not a single comma changes right. for the next decade. And that's a, that's a good way to learn to hate comedy. You know, yeah. you'll hate yourself, you'll hate what you're doing. and But if you're always trying new stuff, it's kind of always a little challenge. and It keeps it fresh. Yeah, it keeps you fresh and kind of reminds you what you loved about comedy. Yeah. I always relate it to, like, you can be a guy that works out, all right? But if you only do the treadmill. Right. After a while, you're going to hate the treadmill. Right. And you're it doesn't do any good for you anymore. It doesn't. You're doing the same thing. Unless right. you're pushing <laughs> it up a notch, you're trying it a different level or right. something. So try something else in the gym, try some different jokes. Right. I always find too when you, I'll ask you before I tell you how I feel about it. When sometimes the biggest laugh in your act is what the new jokes, the newest one, Isn't right? It? Because you're fresh and you're yeah, your mind's alert. And the like you know at our level, we can go on autopilot. I can be telling a joke and looking at somebody and wondering what they're doing and thinking about something else in my head. And those are not the best performances, right? When you know you're inside your head, the best ones are when you're thinking very much about what you're doing, even though you've told the joke 2,000 times. Right. Yeah, it's amazing how you got to keep it sounding fresh. Right. But those new jokes, are just like, the energy you put behind it, you really want it to work. Right. So subconsciously, you're pulling on every comic instinct you have. <laughs> yeah, every skill. All of a sudden, you're speaking up a little bit. Your eye contact's <laughs> better with the crowd. Yeah. Uh, I always say, you know, look at somebody in the eyes when you hit a punchline if you can to make that contact and keep yeah. dialed into what you're doing so you're not just That's like... That's a good idea. Yeah, I try to do that seriously, and, and I try to find somebody that's my target for that joke specifically. If I'm talking about married couples, oh, right. I look for rings on fingers in the front row so that I'm not delivering to two guys, you know, <laughs> yeah, two people on a date or whatever. Right. So I can like hit that's that. Smart. And if you do that early in the show, you know where they are, and when you come back around to a topic, yeah, you can deliver it. So it's like finding little pinpoints. Right. And I just do that to keep myself involved. I don't think the crowd maybe even right. noticed it. But having some of those games inside the game to keep right. going is cool. Yeah, but those new jokes, I just love when one works. Yeah, I do too. Have you ever had a joke where you've had it in your notebook or in the back of your mind for way too long, and then you finally get it out? Yeah, and it crushes you. Like you almost hate yourself for not giving it a chance. Yep, that's uh, that's the story of one the second to last joke I did on Conan it was in my notebook for a year because I didn't believe in it. I was like, this is not gonna work. Isn't that crazy? And then I tried it, and it just destroyed. I'm like, oh, it's what's funny is that. As long as we've been doing this, we have no idea what's funny. You really don't. <laughs> I mean, you, you've got an idea that it is funny, but you don't know yeah. when you hear the response. Right, yeah. Then you got to decide if you trust that crowd or not. Right, yeah, <laughs> then you do it again, and you're like, wow, what a dummy I was. Yeah. <laughs> joked great. There used to be a comic I worked with back in the days, and uh, he would do a joke where he'd say he'd try a new joke out. Right. Just I don't know if it was during check job or whatever, but he'd say, this is a new joke I'm trying out. He said, I'd like to try one out in each crowd, so give me your honest response. If it's not funny, don't laugh. Right. 
And so he'll tell it and he'll get a decent laugh. Then later on, he'll do a joke that's not funny. Mm-hmm. And he'll get dead silence. And he goes, those guys in Omaha set me up. <laughs> and so he like built that little thing in where he could actually try out a new joke and the yeah. new one doesn't work. Yeah. You know, and I guess if it, if he put a new one in that second spot and it worked, he wouldn't have to do the callback. Yeah, he wouldn't have to say anything. But it was a nice little safety device for yeah. him. And the crowd was in on it. It took yeah. him a second to get it, but they're like, oh, yeah. I like the safety device. I mean, it's some people will tell you it's cheating or whatever, but, you know, whatever you can do to take some of the pressure off and more importantly, free yourself to do new material. Right. You know, that's doing new material is more important than you feeling, you know, safe and comfortable or whatever. So, you know, let yourself off the hook a little bit and right. try something new. And then eventually, you know, you have to move it into the act and see if it stands on its own without telling them, you know, a new joke or whatever. And do you ever have a... I, I never consciously retire anything completely. I can always drop on it if I yeah. get to in a show. But do you feel like once you did that first CD, I mean, did... You probably still needed to fill some time working on that second CD, so some of the old right. material and phasing out. You know what's funny? I know like the my the whole first album was kind of built around the idea. Um, do you remember? When, I mean, I've mentioned him several times now, so you know Seinfeld is a huge influence right. on my comedy. When he recorded his first and only album, uh, it was when he retired his entire. I'm telling album. you for the last time. He said, "I'm telling you for the last time." Uh, I, when I recorded mine, I knew I couldn't retire a single joke because I still had to go on the road and right. make a living. So I called my album, I'm Telling You for the First Time. The cover's exactly the same. Really? Except it's me. It's like that back uh, shot from a theater. Like it's, you know, the silhouette of Seinfeld on his cover and it's the silhouette of me. That is great. Right. Yeah, so it's I'm Telling You for the First Time. That's hilarious. Yeah. That is, that's cool. I should do a whole episode sometimes on just the the concept of the, the front picture on your CD. Yeah. The thought process that goes into that, right? And uh, you know, W. Maxwell, have you ever bumped into him? Uh, no, but I know he's yeah, a Chicago dude, yeah, Chicago right? guy. Yeah, and uh, I know just, who he is, but we've never run into yeah, him. Yeah, he's a great guy, and he just did a blog post the other day. and I didn't realize that his two or three CDs that he put out were mimicking other famous CDs. Oh, yeah, you know, not comedy CDs necessarily, but just yeah. different musicians, and right? When he showed them side to side, like it was brilliant, I yeah, mean, the parody of it was perfect, <laughs> right? It's almost like a mad magazine cover, it was so well, but yeah. But I'd seen those three CDs over and over again without even putting that together. I'll have to look those up. Yeah. Because, yeah, that was the idea. I liked the parody. And then I was like, I want to parody a comedy album. And my two choices, and I still might do the second one, so I'm putting this on the record right now. Yeah, I'll stamp one after you do. <laughs> yeah. Um, my other choice was, do you remember Robert Klein's Child of the 50s? Yeah, yeah. It was a famous, his probably most famous album. Mm-hmm. And the cover is him sitting in his childhood room with sort of, like all the accoutrements of growing up in the 50s. I wanted to call it Child of the 80s and do the exact same cover, me in a room that looked exactly the same, but with all the stuff from the 80s. That's cool. But I stopped because it was going to take me probably a year to collect all yeah. that stuff. Thrift stores, that, yeah, dragging after. stuff back from the road. <laughs> right. That's hilarious. So that's what stopped me, but I like that idea, Child of the 80s. That's cool. Well, I, yeah. I'm thinking a couple CDs down the line, which may take me 20 years to even get to that point. Who knows? But... Um, Occupation Fool. Yeah. George Carlin was a cool I just simple. bought that, uh, the, the vinyl operation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got all the old comedy albums that I can Yeah. Get. I've got probably 200 of them. Um, so I've been looking back through there. And for a while, I've had the idea of a full time job for the name of comedy. Season. Oh, right, yeah. yeah like, Didn't Carlin have something like that? So I looked at it. It's a pretty simple album cover. Tim on a stool, right? Yeah, yeah. It's just like really simple. So like, yeah. I can do that. And right. Knock that out in a day. That's good. Uh, instead of having to do, have somebody go in and do. 
PowerPoint and whatever, not PowerPoint, but any kind of Adobe. Yeah, Photoshop. Photoshop, yeah. Right. So that's I have, uh, uh, my, uh, I have a five-month-old baby at home now. So my office became half office, half nursery. Right. <laughs> and his changing table is actually right underneath a bunch of comedy albums <laughs> I have framed. And for the longest time, he was just enthralled with Bob Newhart's album. Really? He would sit there and talk to it and <laughs> look at it. I want to wear a button-down shirt one day. That's funny. Yeah, it was, I'm pretty sure it's button-down money. Uh-huh. Yeah. He would sit there and just stare at it. That's crazy. Well, I've got to ask you, as I talked to James earlier, um, the time commitment it takes to be a parent yeah. and, and some of the sleep deprivation. How's that, how are you handling all that? Um, I'm handling it. I'm better because I'm on the road. So, you know, three days a week I get to sleep. But my wife, I feel bad for her. She's you know, at five months now. She hasn't slept, you it's know, on demand, one solid at night. Yeah. yeah. So, but we're getting to the point. I think he, he seems to be leaning towards sleeping a little better and everything. Uh, getting some decent naps in the day. No, that's the thing. That kid doesn't sleep. <laughs> my first day. one was that way. He's a, a half hour. minute nap was like, we're, yeah. Yeah, they, he'll do a half hour and then he's up. So, yeah, yeah there's very little reprieve. <laughs> it's rough. I know how your wife, yeah. I mean, my wife's gone through the same thing. She's a saint for how much she's dealt with that. Yeah. But have you made any changes in the way you approach finding time for your writing or anything? Yeah, yeah obviously you have to it, because it throws, you know, uh, James and I were talking about it down in the coffee shop earlier about sort of the rhythm of your life changes and you have to become very focused and, um, you have a lot less free time, but like he said, he's more productive now because he has to be. So with with the baby in the house now, yeah, you have to get out to do your writing. Or yeah, what? yeah, especially with a five month old, you know, nothing's happening in the house except there's no logical reasoning with a five month old. No, not no. even a three year old. You're almost getting there at that point. So you got a while to go. Yeah. Uh, both James and I have talked. We both got a, a workspace and office about 15 minutes away. Yeah, that's uh, honestly a great idea, and I've thought about that. And especially, you know, in New York, we have a two-bedroom place, which is quite, you know, honestly kind of a luxury for us. But that room has to become his at some point. Yeah. We can't be going to have these via <laughs> nursery office for too much longer. Yeah. Well, good luck with that. And uh, where, where can people find you online? You have uh, yeah, Tonydeo.com? Yep, on my website, TonyDeo.com. Are you a Twitter guy? I, not as much as some people. Yeah. I've had a, a, a tiny bit. Right. I, I try to do quality over quantity on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I try to. I usually get on there when somebody calls me and says, hey, man, I sent you a tweet 10 days ago and you didn't respond to it. Yeah. <laughs> I need to get back on that again. Yeah, I, I've, uh, it, it drives me crazy that we have so many ways to reach people. Like, it used to be uh, you wanted someone, you called them or you emailed them. Now, like, uh, there's Facebook messages, and I sent you a direct message on Twitter, and it's like, every time someone does, I'm like, please just email me. I check this once a month. Yeah, I do too. Yeah, I, I refuse Google Hangouts. Oh, yeah. I grabbed my name on there just so <laughs> yeah. I have it. Maybe yeah. there's a million others with the same spelling, but I got that. And yeah. Every once in a while, somebody's in my circle. I'm like, I haven't even visited the circle yet. Right. You know? But yeah, I think you're just finding one or two ways and keeping that yeah. pretty steady. Yeah. The strange thing to me though is that I have gotten bookings through Facebook posts. Yeah, someone, found me on there first. Yesterday, someone a comedy club, you know, he sent me a Facebook message. Jesus, these kids are getting you know, younger I, and younger. I, I know. Yeah, I don't know what's gonna be next. Yeah. Sending you Instagram pictures saying, well, "Can we book you?" <laughs> Picture of the comedy I can't club. Keep up with it all. Yeah. Cool. Well, thanks very much for being in here. Hey, thanks, Rick. And I'll let you know when this airs. All right. Alrighty. Thank you. Great. listening to the School of Laughs podcast. For information on upcoming classes, check out schooloflaughs.com. 
and don't forget to subscribe and leave a ranking on iTunes. Also, send any questions or comments to schooloflaughs at gmail.com. Until next time, stay tuned, stay focused, and stay funny.